Worldwide parent coach and conscious educator, Sue DeCaro, is on a mission to revitalize the joy in parenting. Welcome to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids, a podcast designed to help parents all over the world create deeper connections with themselves and their children while overcoming life's daily parenting challenges. Listen in if you want to bring more laughter, love, and enjoyment to your home life. Welcome to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids, a place for all things parenting. I am your host, Sue DeCaro. Today, I am pleased to welcome and introduce my returning guest, Julie Lifcott-Haynes. Julie believes in humans and is deeply interested in what gets in our way. She is the New York Times bestselling author of the Anti-Helicopter Parenting Manifesto, How to Raise an Adult, which gave rise to a TED Talk and has more than 5 million views. Her second book, is the critically acclaimed and award-winning prose poetry memoir, Real American, which illustrates her experience as a black and biracial person in white spaces. A third book, Your Turn, How to Be an Adult is out now. Julie is a former corporate lawyer and Stanford Dean, and she holds a BA from Stanford, a JD from Harvard, and an MFA in writing from California College of the Arts. She serves on the board of Common Sense Media, and on the advisory board of leanin.org and volunteers with the hospital program, No One Dies Alone. She lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her partner of over 30 years, the itinerant young adults and her mother. So welcome back and thank you for joining me. So Thanks many parents. Thank you for me back, Sue. Yeah. I'm so glad to be with you and your community. So many parents are trying to do what they think is right for their kids. So that as adults, they flourish, they thrive, they're successful. Let's talk a little bit about that. You know, the young adult or the young teen, let's call it a teen, you know, older teen. What do we need to do, in your opinion, to help our teens grow into young adults that manage their life successfully, whatever that looks like for them? Yeah, we need to stop doing everything for them and start teaching them how to do things so that one day they can be capable and confident and competent and all of the good things that come with those basic fundamental things. Um, I characterize the things they need to learn as agency, resilience, and character. I call it the arc, get it, A-R-C, agency, resilience, character, the arc of becoming an adult. Agency is simply that innate sense in our minds, in our psyche that says, I can do the tasks in front of me. Um, Resilience is I can cope when things go badly because things will go badly at times. And character is, I know there's more than me in the world. I know there's more than me that matters and I need to be a person who is good and kind and patient and gracious and respectful toward other humans. And so those are the three... um, massive foundational capacities, agency, resilience, and character we want our kids to have. Then the question becomes, all right, how do we give them those things? And my response, as I said at the start of the question or the answer was, we have to stop doing for them so that they can learn. We can't give someone agency, but we can take it away. We can't give someone resilience, but we can take it away. We can't give someone good character, but we can be wildly applauding the good things they do, role modeling what good character looks like so they know um, how to be. 
And those are the things we should be focusing on. And the great news is all of that is available for free in our homes. Doesn't require a course or a, uh, any expense of money. It's really um, stepping back and giving our kids, you know, setting expectations about what they'll do, giving them feedback when they do things well, um, continuing to teach them um, the steps of things so that ultimately they can do for themselves. And you and I both know how important this is, and hopefully our listeners do as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on why this is so difficult for us, because I know my coaching practice is extremely busy. I'm sure you're very busy talking with lots of different people about your work and the wisdom that you share in the world. Why is stepping back and allowing our children to have control and responsibility, have arc? Why is that so tough? Clearly something has changed in childhood over these last few decades. Uh, Our parents weren't super familiar with our assignments in school. They might not have even known the name of every teacher. They might not have known every person we were friends with. They weren't coming to the practices for soccer or for dance. Um, They were dropping us off or we were getting places ourselves. They were not micromanaging our lives. And the downside of that is we weren't anywhere near as close to our parents as current parents are to their kids. And the upside is we learned to do a whole lot more for ourselves. So I think in today's world, we're trying to capture the upside of closeness, togetherness. Um, All of that is good. We just don't want it to be an infantilization of the kid. The kid is still a person who has to learn to do every single thing for themselves because that's how we can have confidence that they'll thrive even when we're dead. I mean, I hate to paint it in such stark terms, but really that's what good parenting is. We need to know that our offspring can thrive without us, not with us right there, but without us. So um, I think the Part of the cause is the closeness. Uh, you know, we're, we're just always there. And then being always there, we want to help. We want to step in. We want to tie the shoes too long. We want to unscrew the juice drinks too long. We want to hold their hand walking across the street too long. Why? Because we can. Well, of course we can, folks. We're grown. We know these things. We're not supposed to perpetually do for our kids. We're supposed to delight in teaching them how to do for themselves. You know, this... This is very biblical for those who are, are, are religious. You don't give a man a fish, you teach a man to fish, the parable goes. Why? Mm-hmm. Because if you give a person a fish, they will only ever have one fish. And, um, you know, the, the really compassionate thing is give them a fish, but also then teach them how to fish. Um, and that's what parenting is. We do a lot of giving in the early years because they are literally helpless and then The minute they start to walk, they can start to learn to come stand here at the kitchen counter with me, little one. We're we're making dinner now. Let's cut some vegetables. And you don't hand your three-year-old the meat cleaver, hand them an age-appropriate plastic knife and get them involved in chopping some things that a three-year-old can chop. And they will feel belonging. They will feel competent. They will feel valued. Um, All of these things build skills, but also connection to us. So, you know, it's a long process. We got to be parenting for the long term instead of for perfection in every moment. Again, I reiterate, of course, you can chop the thing more cleanly than your child. Of course, you can stack the dishwasher more efficiently than your child. Of course, you know how to do various things. Your 
your desire is supposed to be, let me teach my kid every single thing they're going to need to know. So well said. And it's interesting as you talk about the, you know, the list of chores and things that we can do better than our children. I can remember having my kids fold laundry when they were little. Yeah. And oh, well, if that's called fold, <laughs> uh, but in their world, it is called fold and it does help them build character and believe in themselves to think that they folded the laundry at three and four and five, even if it's rolled up, it's their folding. And so, you know, I, I love how you share, it's not perfection at every moment. And it actually takes a little bit more time on this journey to yeah. step back and offer, you know, a knife, as you said, that, you know, is obviously in the realms of age appropriateness for our child to be part of the role in the kitchen or to be part of something that we are doing so that they can learn these skills. In the past, I believe we were more focused on, you know, the laundry list of things they needed to do, which have nothing to do with laundry, but, you know, get a good education, really achieve in school, grades, 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 you know, leave home, get a job, get married, have children, you know, all in those or in that order. Yeah, that's definitely the old definition of adulting. And there's one element of it that still applies no matter what today, which is get a job or more broadly find work that pays your bills. But yeah. uh, the economy has changed such that certainly where I live, it is completely unaffordable for a young adult just out of high school or just out of college even to afford a one-bedroom apartment. It's just, it's not possible. Salaries have not kept up with cost of living in many cities. Um, on top of that, young adults have so uh, many student loans, much higher rate of student loan debt than prior generations. And so they might not be able to move out anytime soon. It's not about where they live or with whom, it's about can they behave as an adult would. I mean, I think if our young adult children, our 20-year-olds, our 25-year-olds, our 29-year-olds are living with us, we have to expect for their own good and for our own sanity, we have to expect them to step up and behave like an Airbnb guest who's sharing our kitchen. Like, yes, you have your privacy, you have your room, great. And I'd like you to do some grocery shopping. You know, I'd like you to make a meal once a week. Please take care of this particular set of chores instead of treating them like some guest or like an eight-year-old, um, you know, they may grumble and groan at first, but ultimately humans want responsibility. They want to be counted on and trusted, not nagged and reminded, but given an obligation, you know, given an, an expectation that they can, they can meet or soar over. That will make them feel a degree of achievement that is often lacking in young adults who've been overmanaged, micromanaged. They don't maybe know how to do very much, and they're just sort of content with staying in their comfort zone which is where everyone's handling the stuff of life for them, feels good in the short term. In the long term, it leads to a real existential malaise. You know, who am I? I don't even know how to do anything. Everyone handles everything for me. I'm not responsible for anything. And this is where behaviors around addiction can show up because they're searching for something to have control over. They're searching of a way to soothe these difficult feelings. Um, so there's a, you know, <laughs> chores seem sort of trite and simplistic, but creating an expectation that a young person will pitch in and inc get increasing responsibility as they age in the home is going to set themselves up to be able to take care of themselves wherever they live and with whom once they graduate high school. Mm, I love that. I call that an age-appropriate team member. Absolutely. You know what, Sue? There's a fabulous new book. It's not mine. It's um, by McLean Duclef. 
It's called Hunt Gather Parent. She's an NPR journalist who's basically traveled to three different indigenous cultures um, where children emerge from these communities, confident, competent with their mental health and well-being very much intact. And she, she's gone on this journey to, to try to understand what are they doing differently than I'm doing in my San Francisco home. Um, and she learned the hard way. She took her toddler with her on this trek to learn about other cultures. And she learned, look, we're talking constantly at our kids. Kids need a little bit more headspace where they're not hearing our voices constantly. They're, they're, those kids are being asked to contribute in the home. A parent just nods their head and says, we're making dinner now, nods their head. We're collecting firewood now, nods their head. We're cleaning up our toys now. And the kids follow and they do it and they learn and they get better and better at folding the laundry. And one day they can fold it like mom or dad does, but in the beginning they can't, but it's just about participating. Mm -hmm. And um, she's got all kinds of great advice about how to use your language. This generates a sense of of family membership. She says it's as if the kid is getting a family membership card, like you belong here, you're part of this and collectively, this is the work we do in order to keep us all safe and sound and fed and cared for. Mm, I love that, the family membership. And, and they do, they want a place to belong. So why not start it at the very beginning at these young ages? Yeah. So those who are listening, if you have young children, it's never too late, but if you have young children, include them in, some of the basic skills and things that they can do at the age they are. I think so, it's so let, important. Let me add one thing I should have said when you said, why are we doing this? The one piece I didn't mention so much was our ego. And this really dovetails with now with what we're talking about uh, right now about chores. We lately in certain communities, certainly my community and plenty of others have substituted what we think of as academic enrichment for the real enrichment that comes when a child contributes around home. So we're more likely to park our toddler in front of an enrichment video while we do the work of the house than we are to nod our head and smile and say, hey, we're cleaning up now and invite our toddler to come along. We've been duped into thinking that videos enrich children when in fact connection with family members where they can learn skills gives them a deep emotional sense of belonging. And they also learn the skills that become the bigger skills that become the really important skills that mean they can fend for themselves one day. So we have let this sort of academic arms race get younger. It used to be just a high school thing, then middle school, then elementary. Now it's, you know, what preschool is your kid gonna learn math at, which is absurd. Kids need to play freely and they need downtime and they need to be welcomed into the work of the family. So if we could, reset childhood a little bit and not let academic stuff drive uh, our children's lives, we would have happier, better adjusted children who are capable and competent in an academic sense, but who haven't been taught that academics matter to the exclusion of all else, including life skills and emotional wellness. Mm, so well said. I think I'm going to take that quote and post it somewhere. A <laughs> lot of people need to hear that over and over and over again. So. Thank you for sharing that. So I'd like to touch on your book, uh, your new book, mm -hmm. if you do have three, um, and talk a little bit about some of the practical strategies that we can offer to our young people to help them navigate adulthood today. So for example, uh, I know that you mentioned in the book how uh, some of our young adults don't know how to make phone calls or look people in the eye or connect in that way because of their generation being raised in texting and you know even 
making up words and texts that don't really have any true meaning in the world. So how can we help them now, wherever they are in this young adulthood, to, to be able to shift that? Well, first, Sue, I would say I um, am not somebody who's taking on texting and, and not using real words. I, I do not write about that in the book. I think young people are the generators of new language, always have been. And so I don't personally have a problem with the fact that they text. Um, but I do think that we've undermined them by teaching them don't talk to strangers. I have a whole chapter, which is really about the essential value and importance of strong mutually rewarding, beneficial human relationships. Um, the chapter is called Start Talking to Strangers. Humans are key to your survival. And so a generation raised with the mantra, don't talk to strangers, have not learned how to read the cues in a stranger's face. They haven't learned how to be polite to strangers, whether they need to ask for something or respond to the stranger, they're afraid. And we've made them so. And so that's why I've got a huge chapter, which is like, you gotta, you gotta start talking to strangers. And, um, and it starts with the people in the supermarket and the people that you might say hi to walking down the sidewalk and the people who are slightly outside your immediate work group in the workplace. Um, you've, you've got to start to move out of your comfort zone into your growth zone, which is all right, I'm going to take a deep breath and smile at this person and just say what needs to be said. And um, we get better at it. As with any skill we practice, we get better at it the, the, the more we do it. Um, so that's one key thing, uh, learning how to interact with humans. And of course, there are deep, deep levels to this. How do you, how do you interact with the human when there's a disagreement? How do you learn to compromise? Mm -hmm. Childhood chickens coming home to roost in the form of young adults who don't know how to navigate um, uh, disagreement in their interpersonal relationships because their play dates were managed by parents, playground disputes were mediated by grownups. They have been deprived of all the practice childhood was supposed to offer. Even ch kids' sports are now entirely entirely managed by grownups. No more pickup games of soccer, basketball, baseball, where the kids decided, okay, we're gonna play. And if you hog the ball, I'm leaving. That doesn't happen anymore. The adults are there to say, now, wait a minute, everybody's got to do this and that. We have deprived them of developing the instincts around how you need to show up and behave if your fellow humans are going to want to hang around you. Mm. So really helping children today to learn how to resolve issues that come up is a, is a day-to-day -day process as well as us being the models and demonstrating how we resolve the issues, you know, obviously in an age-appropriate way to share. but sharing with them some of the tools and techniques that we use to talk things through with people. Absolutely. You know, my son is 21, my daughter's 19. And, and just the other day, my son gave us feedback about this. He's been living with us during the pandemic. And my husband and I had just bought something rather expensive. And we were having a conversation about how to deal with the former owner um, of it, with whom we were having a little, we were having a bit of a disagreement um, and it was subtle. It was about feelings and it was about expectations. And my husband and I were talking about this thing in our kitchen and, and our son Sawyer was nearby making himself some lunch. And he turned to us and he said, it's really great for me to hear that adults struggle 
people with this. I'm listening to you talking about how to talk with this person, what you're going to say, what you're worried about, you know, your how how you plan to to push through this. He said it's really helpful for me to hear this. And we smiled and said, you know, good. And we realized that the mantra we grew up with as parents was don't fight around your kids, don't even let them see you disagree. And so we parents have been taught, take the, take the disagreements out of the kid's earshot. Well, obviously, if it's a very, very scary disagreement, you do not want the kids to witness it. But if it's run-of-the-mill human stuff, dealing with a bureaucracy, dealing with misunderstanding, you know, trying to figure something out, we should be role modeling for kids, number one, that adults do deal with these things. Number two, how to deal with these things. You know, that's what we're, we're that is teaching. It's not child, let me sit down, let me teach you this lesson. They learn by watching. They learn by being in the room as they hear the adults they love and trust the most wrestle with difficult things, come to solutions that may or may not be the perfect solutions. Most things are not perfect. Hearing our tales of struggle and worry, um, but seeing that we persist through, that's the best education there is for a kid. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I love that your son pointed that out. Because yeah. we don't often realize that our kids, even in earshot, are taking in everything that's going on yeah, and making their own assumptions if it doesn't come to a conversation. And it's nice when it does come to a conversation and we are able to share the why and the what of what we're doing, you know, again, as long as it's age appropriate and they can take it all in. But I, I agree with you. The modeling is the key to really helping our children learn this. And, and having open conversation and open dialogue about the whys and the navigation of it all. Absolutely. Well, I would love for you to share anything else about your incredibly new book um, and where people can find it. And, you know, maybe just a little, another little tidbit about what they might be able to glean from it, take away from it and how helpful it will be for people to buy it. Thank you, Sue. So the book is called Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. It's pitched at those young adults who will articulate, I'm struggling with adulting, I don't want to adult, adulting is scary or hard. Yes, this is me not critiquing them. This is me saying, I get it, that's valid, let me help. I'm trying to be the older person who turns around on the path of life and shines a warm light behind me to illuminate things for the people who are younger than me. That's the tone I take in the book. It's blunt. It's frank. I tell a lot of my own stories of what I've struggled with. I tell the stories of close to three dozen other people from all walks of life. And I mean, all walks of life, including neurodivergent folks and folks with mental health challenges and people from every conceivable racial background, all genders, sexual orientation, um, wealth, highly educated, hardly, hardly educated people who grew up poor and working class, people who grew up middle-class people who grew up wealthy. I've just got all kinds of stories in these books to try to illustrate, look, this is what adulting sounds like. This is what dreaming about what you want, hustling to make it happen, persisting when life throws you a curveball or really knocks you down. This is what it sounds like. That's what I've tried to put in these pages. And I think probably, you know, it's a big, book. It's close to 500 pages because adulting is a big chunk of life. Um, but one of the, the most fundamental messages is around what I call life's beautiful F words, which are um, failing, flailing, floundering, fumbling, falling, also feedback. These are things that we don't want <laughs> in our lives. 
Um, yet these are our greatest teachers. And we sort of know this intrinsically, but we don't really. We're perfectionists instead. We're performing the part of the human who is perfectly fine. And we do a lot of performing on social media, of course. Um, and I'm here in this book to say, you are not perfect. Nobody is. So just give that up. Number two, you're actually here to learn and grow. And if you can take a beginner's mentality and say to yourself, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm trying, I'm, I'm new to this, you know, I'm, uh, this is hard. Reframe that to, I do hard things, develop a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset of perfectionism and, um, and watch how your life begins to just really soar. So that's, that's an important message uh, that, that applies to all of us, regardless of age and to your, one of your early questions of why are we parents not letting our kids learn the lessons life needs to teach them? We're afraid that if they fall or fail or flounder, et cetera, they'll be somehow excluded from life's opportunities. They won't get into the right college. Well, there are some colleges that demand perfection, and that means some parents are doing their kids' homework or making them take the SAT four times in order to be perfect. But that kid, I would wager, still does not know how to do for themselves. And at some point, that's going to catch up to them if they've been so micromanaged out of our fear that if they're not perfect, they won't have a future. They may, in fact, not have a future in the sense that we've so undermined their skill development and their mental health that we've arrived them to this place that we've decided matters, but they can't do the work themselves. And so they're sending work home to parents from college or in the workplace because they don't know how to do their own work. So that's the message. Tolerate the failure. It's life's greatest teacher. We all know it. When we can lean into that, we really get stronger. Mm, I love the Fs. <laughs> I love that. That's brilliant. Awesome. And what what an amazing book for all young people or people of any age, right? Because some of us in our 50s or 60s are still, we're all adulting, right? We're still adulting. We'll always be adulting until we're yep. no longer here. Exactly. That's the point, Sue. That's exactly right. So it is pitched at the younger set, but I'm delighted in hearing from people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s who are saying, hey, this book is also speaking to me. This book is getting me off my butt. This book is making me look for a different job or or commit to a relationship or leave a relationship. This book is saying it is now, it is on, it is your life. Don't be complacent. Get in the driver's seat, make the decisions you want to make. And Sue, parents are telling me, parents of teens are telling me they're reading the book with their kid. Maybe they both have a copy. Maybe they're swapping it back and forth and it's being used as a portal to facilitate a conversation about tough stuff, uh, the book becomes sort of an unbiased third party sitting between them, helping them have a conversation they might not otherwise have been able to start. Almost like you're in every room <laughs> with these folks reading the book. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 And, and I also have a client that is reading it with her two children and says the same thing. It is really the portal to deeper conversations and honest communication about so many things. So thank you for writing another wonderful book. And where can people buy it? I'm assuming Amazon and every other. Yeah. Well, I try not to promote Amazon just uh, because they're responsible for shutting down all these local bookstores just because they're so cheap. Um, so I would prefer if folks are buying it online that you 
go to bookshop.org, um, which does give a portion of all proceeds to independent bookstores across the country, or your local independent bookstore in your town would love for you to buy it there. I'm also a huge fan of Black-owned bookstores as an African-American trying to support uh, Black entrepreneurs and, and Black small businesses. Uh, the book is available in all formats. If you're an audio person, I narrated the book. It is long, as I've said, it's 20 hours and 21 minutes of audiobook, but you can get it there. You can get it on your e-reader. It's available wherever books are sold. That's awesome. Thank you. And I'll be sure to put some of those links in for people to buy at their local bookshop or bookshop.org. Thank you. And may I also say that folks can follow me on social. I'm Jay Lithcott Haynes on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and maybe even one day TikTok, although I doubt it. Um, also <laughs> well, I can't to- wait to see you there. <laughs> I just would feel so silly. But um, my website is julielithcotthames.com, and that's where folks can keep up with the events uh, that I'm a part of. I am on a book tour right now with this new book, Your Turn, even though it's virtual. You know, In some ways, it makes it easier to show up and see me in San Francisco or Chicago or wherever you are. I can be there too. So check out my work. Would love for you to follow me if it feels resonant. I always love interacting with folks about the topics that concern us. Awesome. Well, you're an incredible resource. Thank you so much for all you do in this world. And thanks for being on this episode. It's been an honor and a pleasure to have you. Always great to be with you, Sue. Thanks for being uh, so interested in supporting my work and bringing your community of great listeners to it. Thank you. And to our listeners, remember, every moment is a new moment for conscious connections. Thanks for listening to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.